0: Hi! Are you still recovering from taking a long weekend and having to start your week on Tuesday this week? I am a little bit too. My meetings got a little wonky this week, but really the issue was last week. I will not lie, I was pretty much in the thick of overwhelm last week because the month was ending a new month was beginning i'm not going to bore you with like the intense to-do list that comes at that time but it was it was crazy um so i wanted to actually share three things that i decided to do that worked and helped me to get through two of them probably seem a little bit counterintuitive to you So let's go through the week. Tuesday, it was really, really hot. We were having like a heat wave in New Hampshire. I love the heat. um, But I got to this spot in the day where I couldn't really get ahead on anything else. And everything that I had left to do was just sort of like busy work and little tiny tasks. So One of the reasons I love the heat is because you can go swimming and swimming is like one of my favorite things in the whole world. So I called it quits at three o'clock and I went and played hooky and I went swimming in the lake and it might seem like, oh my gosh, Emily, you dummy, you know, you had so much to do. Why didn't you set yourself up for success and get a whole bunch of it done ahead of time? But actually, I found that by giving myself a little dip in the lake and refreshing and resting um, just for that extra little bit, I actually set myself up for success because Wednesday and Thursday had just tons of meetings and I needed a little bit of time away from my screen and off my computer. So that super helped to set me up for what was ahead. The other thing that I did was on Thursday, after I was finished with all of my meetings and calls for the week, I looked at my list and I kind of felt like I was sinking and drowning in my own overwhelm. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start. So I did what I always do. I made a brain dump. And I did all the things that I usually do to organize what I needed to do, but I just could not like figure out where to start. My stress levels were getting higher and higher. And I don't know about you, but when I try to work from a place of stress or overwhelm, I don't do my best work. And it's really, really hard for me to be creative. So that's tends to be when I make mistakes, and I don't write very well or clearly, and things are just a mess if I try to force it. So I decided to take a break and do something that I wanted, which was actually to go to the store and get some comfy tops for summer and like upcoming trips and stuff. I needed the tops anyway. It wasn't like I was just going on a shopping spree. So it seems like procrastination, I know, but listen to what happened as a result. I left my house, went shopping. I first of all, the drive was just great. You know, it was nice to step away from the computer once again. Um, I started to feel so much more inspired as I was driving, and things started like clicking into place in my brain, and ideas were flowing in. I was like, "Yes, this is amazing." But the best part was, I felt so much more like I wanted to get back to work. Like by doing something, I wanted to do. It made it so that I actually really couldn't wait to get back to finish everything else. Because the truth is, like I've told you before, no task that I do is awful. Like I really love the things that I do. So actually just taking the step to, to, to get away for a little bit and what seemed like procrastination was actually anti-procrastination. Um, and I did like work a little bit. and and just get through it kind of on Thursday night and put a little extra time in to get ahead. Lastly, on Friday, I took one step at a time and I just conquered it by diving in and doing one thing at a time and focusing just on that one thing, not on all of the things after this one thing because I believe that the only way through is through. I, I always say this and that's exactly how I did it. It's how I do it every time. And here's my kind of takeaway. Why do we not remember this when we are trapped in overwhelm? Like we need to remember, okay, we've done this about 20 bajillion times before, just approximately. I don't know about you, but like I planned my entire wedding myself while running a business and also working in it every day. It there's a lot of overwhelming things in life that I've overcome. And I think that I have to remember that there's always a way through and we will always get to the other side. But boy, oh boy, when we are in the thick of it, it does not feel that way in the process. So all of this to say, uh, I do think that, you know, I am the first person to tell you that it is hard for me to take a vacation and rest. But I think it is so important. And It's just about stepping out of that clamor of the day-to-day because that's when you start to spark new creativity. That's when you create like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get back into work. It's giving yourself that space. You start seeing things from a different perspective. And more importantly, you break a lot of the patterns and repetitive cycles like overwhelm that can hold you back. So I'm curious to know how... What vacations and time that you are planning to give yourself this summer? I definitely have an entire week planned to take off for the first time like in a, in a while, um, and I'm really, really excited about that. But even if you're not planning to step away and go somewhere, I would encourage you to look for opportunities to give yourself kind of like mini vacations, even if it's like little daily moments of doing something that you love. So the reason I bring all of this up, when it, you're probably wondering, what on earth does this have to do with email marketing? But my guest Christy and I actually get into some of the struggles that we both face when we are challenged, let's just call it, to do nothing or to not be productive. And so Christy and I bond over our lack of real hobbies and how she started doing pretty much everything and anything for anyone until she needs down. And I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, In addition, we also talk about how Christy started her copywriting business, how she's never had a real job, and her best tips for email marketing in a real human and connected way. If you're not already following Christy on Instagram, I highly, highly recommend and you can find her at Christy Sedgileski. All the links will be in the show notes. Christy, I'm so sorry if I said your last name wrong. She also has a killer download on her website called how to write emails that sell and take it from me. It's packed full of good tips and her five step framework for writing better emails and subject lines. Christy is a connection-driven copy and email marketing expert for coaches and creative business owners in the online space, and she's also host of the Captivate and Convert podcast, which is all things copywriting, marketing, and branding. You are going to love this episode, I think, so buckle up. Christy and welcome to She Built This Podcast. How are you?
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: I'm so excited. Our universes have finally collided. I've heard your name about a million times and I started listening to your podcast this year and I love it. And I heard you, I think I think I heard you say something about not having any hobbies and I was like, that's it. She (laughs) needs to be on my show. (laughs)
1: That's yeah, that is that is the truth. <laughs> so
0: before we get into before we get into the hobbies thing, because I definitely want to talk about that, um, why don't you tell us in your words who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, so well I'm Christy Sigelski and I am um a copy a copywriter and email marketing strategist. I work with um female business owners really all over the world. Um mostly like coaches, course creators. Um, and I specialize in email sequences, you know, email marketing funnels and sales pages, mostly that whole kind of sales cycle. Um, and I just, I just love it because I think email is really one of the best ways to connect with your people.
0: But I do know it's super important and I use it in my own business and I, you know i find that when you show up in somebody's inbox it's a lot more personal than when we're just posting things on social media so it is a very valuable tool and that's exactly what i want to get into but yeah. first i mean, i must know does every single person that calls you butcher your last name
1: oh yeah it's a it's a hard last name i don't i i don't take offense whatsoever and um, I think even when I, my husband and I met in high school and I remember, um, I used to sign him into study hall with me. And I think for like a whole year, I spelled it wrong,
0: even oh though oh we my were goodness, friends. <laughs> I think even if it was mine, I would spell it wrong. So yeah, it's no, you
1: can just, you can just call me whatever.
0: No, don't say that. I uh, you know what? My it's it doesn't matter how. This is the thing with last names. It doesn't matter how simple they are. People are still going to pronounce them wrong. So it's it's all what it is, you know. Yeah, and
1: don't you like if you if you do a lot of writing, like you know, I I kind of like geek out over pronunciation and then grammar and stuff. And I will see people's last name that they they don't pronounce it how I think it should be pronounced, like based on the spelling. And I'm like, well, they're just not pronouncing their name right. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) It really should be like this. Well,
0: I'll I'll tell you this true confession, which is along the similar line. If somebody, okay, if I've been pronouncing someone's first name, I don't usually like I guess I think of their last names, but not that much. But if I have their first name in my head as one way, and then they tell me the proper way to pronounce it, and I've been saying it wrong, it's really hard for me to say it right. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to like this, but I just can't figure it out. So anyway, all right, that was that fun. That could be part of maybe your hobby, is going around telling people they should add pronunciation guides. So I'm when- sure
1: that would make a huge splash, wouldn't it?
0: Yes, that- So when you say you have no hobbies, um, what do you mean by that?
1: Oh my gosh. So, I mean, I, I was a stay at home mom for, you know, 20 plus years. And so, I mean, my life, like many moms revolved around my kids. Right. So, um, I didn't really do a whole lot for myself or, you know, continue with any hobbies that I had. So I, um, I don't know once they were sort of grown up and now I have like my youngest is in college and my, my oldest is actually married. Um, I don't, it's like, I don't even know what to do with myself. So I'm, I'm still in the process of trying to figure that out.
0: Have you tried knitting? (laughs)
1: Uh, No, I haven't tried knitting. Well, actually not for a long, long time. Um, I'm trying to get a little bit more into like, um, You know, like working out and, you know, just trying different things to, you know, kind of level up with my health and that kind of thing, because I finally feel like I have the time to focus on it. But I am open to suggestions. So, you know, if you have ideas, by all means, send them my way, because I'm pretty boring.
0: Um, I mean, I love puzzles. I don't knit, but I'm. Oh my god, I love puzzles too. Like love them, and and honestly, a good puzzle can last like three or four days if you if you time it right. So,
1: do you do you get that whole thing where you feel compelled to like sit there for hours because you have to finish it?
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll like hover over it all morning long, and I'm like, I know I need to go to work. I know I need to go do work. Yeah. Um yeah, puzzles are fun, crossword puzzles, all those kind of things. That's my, that's really all I have for hobbies. I mean, I go outside and like walk and stuff, but it's tough. It's tough being a grown-up. It
1: is, isn't it? And you sort of feel like I mean, I don't know about anybody else, I guess, but I always feel like if I'm not doing something productive, like it doesn't count. Like what's the point, you know? You, there's almost this this stigma around doing things that are just Fun, But I'm really trying to, you know, work on that and and get past that because I know that, you know, it's necessary to be healthy and happy and all of that.
0: So I think that's um, I love that. And I think it's a muscle that we have to actually if you're if you're an A type or like a person that's Mm. prone to being like highly productive. You know, recently I was sitting out on my back porch on a Saturday and I had like clean the house, taken my walk done all the things and I'm sitting there and I had nothing to do and I was just like staring and I'm like oh my god I'm not being productive like I need to get (laughs) up and go do something and then I was like wait why can't I just sit here yeah (laughs) so it's really a muscle that we just need to like keep like we have to almost like force ourselves to play and force ourselves to do things that are not productive they're just totally for fun you know yeah Um, until we build that muscle and then it becomes like really really relaxing and enjoyable and something that you can't live without
1: yeah, I think that makes so much sense, and it's it's frustrating because I see, you know, my husband's really good at it. He he can relax and he can kind of, you know, just be. And I just I don't know. I just have a really hard time with it. But it's it's goals, you know. It's yes, goals for me. Yes.
0: All right. So I want to get into another fun topic. In contrast to you, I've had forty-two jobs in my life
1: when Uh, I saw that I was like oh my (laughs) god I need to find out more about this
0: (laughs) Um, I started at the well I started babysitting but I started at the pizza barn when I was 15 years old and I just never stopped getting different jobs so you say that you've (laughs) never had a real job and I am super curious as to how you went from that to starting a business and what the story is there (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. So I didn't know that you were going back and like counting the first jobs. I suppose I could, I could, um, find some, some that way. But, um, you know, I got married, I got married at 20. I was 22. I think, yeah, I think I was 22. I just finished college. My husband just had just finished college. And so, you know, we were married young. I had my first, um, child at 24. And I was actually, um, Still taking classes, right? Well, before I got pregnant. So, um, I, I did have like some temp jobs, you know, just, just, you know, jobs that maybe you'd have in college, like no career type job, right? Um, and then I stayed home with my kids. And, um, my husband and I actually started a product based business, probably, I think it was like 2010. And, um, that was really like kind of the first, um, the first, I guess, business venture for, for me, it was, it was mostly my thing. My husband had another company and so he really couldn't dedicate a ton of time to it. But, um, I don't really consider that a real job because I was you know, not working for somebody else. I was, you know, working for myself and, um, I was still, uh, I just finished, I had gone back to school. So I had just finished that and we started that business and I it really like I had to fit, whatever i was doing into my life because i knew i couldn't have like a typical nine to five job because my kids were still young you know they needed me at home after school and stuff like that so um you know whatever i did had to sort of fit around their schedule and then we you know we did that um that margarita mix business oh yeah i guess i didn't mention that it was we had our own line of margarita mixes yeah it was i was called. like what's
0: the product i have yeah. to know.
1: It, it was really fun. So we created this line of, um, all natural low-cal margarita mixes. It was called Drink Skinny. And, um, it was, you know, it, we did pretty well with it. It was in a lot of like natural food, um, you know, gourmet food shop type of, type of things. We even got it in, um, Whole Foods and, in, in the, all the Manhattan stores. Um, but it really like, what you don't know about having a product based business specifically in like the grocery space is that you essentially have to pay for shelf space with groceries. Like they want free product. And then, you know, when they sell that product, they're, they're pay, they're paying like a discounted price. So like you have to make up the difference on both sides of that. And then, you know, any, any coupons that you, that you do, like, you know, a lot of times when you see in the, in the, um, the grocery store flyers, there's like these products are discounted this week. That all comes from the, man- the manufacturer. So it's really hard for a small like mom and pop shop who's making a product in small batches to make any money. So we basically just closed that business down in 2014 because it was costing us more to make it than we were making it, even though we then we were making money, you know, money at it even though it was in, it looked like it was successful, right? Like it looked like it was in a lot of stores and we were doing some online orders. Um, but that, you know, that first business venture really is what led into copywriting for me, because even though, you know, I was, I was an English major who focused in writing, um, it wasn't copywriting, you know, it wasn't copy specific. In fact, I didn't even know that copywriting was a thing. Like I didn't know that it was a job that people got paid for.
0: You're like telling my story right now. This is really? amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. That's I'll so tell funny. you why. I'll tell you why in a minute.
1: Yeah. I want to hear. Um, but you know, I, I created all the marketing material for this business. Like I loved it. I, I wrote all the website copy I started, you know, an email list, I created email campaigns, somehow, like intuitively, I knew that, you know, if we offered something for free on our website, and people signed up like that, that was a good thing, even though, you know, that was back in the day when like social media was easy, right? And you didn't have to pay to play. And all these social media gurus were telling me like, oh, emails dead, emails dead but I just knew like something, something in me knew that it was something worthwhile to focus on. And so um, I love doing all the, you know, creating all the marketing assets. And then, you know, ultimately when the business didn't work out, I had other um, entrepreneur friends kind of come to me after and ask for help, like with their website copy or with their marketing materials, with their emails. And you know, for a long time, I did it for free because, like I said, I didn't know it was something that it was a job. And um, then I got smart and started charging for my time. So that's kind of essentially what led me to the work that I do now. It just sort of morphed a little bit into, um, you know, focusing more in the online space versus like product-based businesses.
0: Yeah. And what made you specifically uh, focus mostly on email?
1: Well, I really started to see, when I first started out in copywriting, I did all the things, right? Like whatever anybody would pay me for, I would do. And, you know, that was like, it might've been course scripts. It might've been um, social media captions, emails, website copy, whatever, whatever it was. Um, But I, I kind of started to see the conversions that they were getting from the email campaigns like that was that was blowing everything out of the water. And so I I really was like, kind of took the time to look at that and think, okay, well, if, if this is really working, how can we how can we improve it and make it work even better? And so, you know, it seemed like it was just a, the really the worthwhile place to spend a lot of their marketing budget. Um, and I just found that like, I I really loved writing emails, like I kind of approached it as sort of a, an old school, um, like I had a mom blog back in the day, like 2007, 2008. And so I was able to kind of write these fun, you know, personality packed emails for my clients that were getting responses that were getting read. They were, they were, people were replying to them and, and of course, you know, booking the sales calls and, and buying their things. But, um, It just was like also a creative outlet that happened to be producing really great results. And so I just went with it. I loved it.
0: I love that. And I really love that you decided to niche down because I think that a lot of us are scared to do that. But clearly for you, it's like that was that was such a huge piece of the success, you know, and and it's a piece that you love. And why not focus on the piece that you most love in your business?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I I think, I mean, I'm grateful that I, that I did a lot of different things in the beginning because it really, well, first of all, I think it gave me some confidence because I got to try a lot of different things and I got to see, you know, that, yeah, actually like I can, I I can make a living at this. Like I I can, I can, people are actually wanting to pay me to write words, you know, like that blew me away at first. And then I kind of got to, see what I what I like doing and what I was really good at so if I if I had niched down like right from the get-go I don't know that it would have felt the same if that makes any sense
0: yeah it does um, all right. So I'll, I'll tell you why you're speaking my story, sharing my story. And then we'll get into some email specific questions. Um, yes, tell me. My husband and I owned a retail shop in Amherst, New Hampshire, and we actually opened it in 2014 and closed it in at the end of 2018. But it was a very similar situation where I absolutely loved doing the marketing materials for my business. Loved it. And hated being at the business. <laughs> and I also didn't really enjoy selling, like, you know, when you're when you own a mattress store, you're selling like very expensive products for people and I just never I never really enjoyed like persuading someone to buy something. Yeah. Um but I will say that email was single-handedly responsible for helping us liquidate that store so (laughs) I got it yeah yeah and I I am not a great email writer it had nothing to do with my amazing copy it's just it showed me the power of like oh wow maybe I should have been emailing the list like (laughs) more often than this you know (laughs) um all right so that brings me to my email specific questions why is email so important and uh, you know, why do you think now, especially, I don't think email is dead. I think it's making a comeback, if anything. So why do you think now we need to focus on it?
1: Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think really depending on how you approach it, emails can can be a, a much more, I don't know, intimate way of building a relationship with your audience because you have the ability to make your subscribers feel special in the way communicate with them and with the stories you share. Um, also and I mean I'm by no means the first one to point this out, but none of us are in control of our social media accounts, right? Like those platforms belong to big businesses that are looking out for their own best interest. And it's in their best interest to limit the number of followers who can see your content so they can charge you for ads. So you know, for good or, or bad, that's that's what it is. But you know, with your email list, you've got a couple of big things going for you. And the first one is that you know your subscribers have essentially invited you into their world by opting in. So that means they want to hear from you. They're hot leads, and hot leads are much easier to convert to customers. And number two, your email list is it's a business asset you know you own it so that puts you in the driver's seat your emails will land in every single subscriber's inbox but you just have to get really good at sort of getting those emails opened and read and clicked through
0: yeah yeah and so i guess to my to uh amend my point emails aren't dead bad emails are dead you know nobody <laughs> nobody wants to read bad emails anymore they just don't have time or bandwidth for it so on that note what what do you feel like are really important things that people should be including in their emails that maybe they're missing you know i think one thing i see and tell me if you see this as well is a lot of the things that we put out there it's all about us 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 and I think I always try to encourage people you know point that finger back at the person and focus Mm. it on them so I'm curious to know your thoughts on like what maybe maybe what is missing the mark in emails and like what really needs to be taken into consideration and included
1: yeah so I mean there's a lot of competition in our inboxes right I mean um I know I get a ton of emails. I'm sure you do too. and what is the difference between the ones that you just delete and the ones that you actually open up and read? And um, you know I think there's there's a there's a few different factors. I think you know you consistency is a huge deal because you know if you're somebody who sends an email, and then, you know, your subscribers don't hear from you for three months and then you decide to send an email every day for five days and then they don't hear from you for two months. Like People forget who you are and what you're doing and how they signed up in the first place. So I think, you know, just just being consistent in your communication is really important to, you know, stay top of mind, number one, but also to um, to really build trust and build that relationship So, um, I always talk about like, you know, everybody asks how, well, how often do, how should I be emailing? And I really think it just depends on, you know, what you can commit to, because you can say you're going to, you're going to email your list once a week. Um, and that might be quote unquote ideal, but if you're not going to stick to it, it's not ideal, you know? So you just sort of have to pick, pick a schedule that is going to work with, um, that's in alignment with who you are and how you like to communicate. Um, I also think there's like, there's a lot of talk around like storytelling and sharing stories. And I think a lot of people miss the mark on this because like you said, you know, they're, they're using the stories to, to kind of talk about themselves, but people, I mean, people are only interested in that to a point. They want to know, like, how does it relate to them? So, you know, one of the things that like I, I created this this sort of um, this framework for emails and um, storytelling is a huge part of it. But you really kind of have to start with the topic in mind. Like, what is what is the point of this email? Because it's not the point isn't the story. The point is, you know, what are you trying to motivate or inspire or teach or entertain? Your like, how are you how are you doing that for your for your readers and then you kind of like so the story needs to needs to kind of tie into whatever the real topic of that email is and then um you know what what's in it for them right like what does this story and the the real topic have to do with your ideal clients what are they going to get out of it and you know then there's kind of like the the, the formula for putting that all together which um I actually created a new freebie around this. It's kind of like a guide that, that shows you all the steps. And then I've also included um, 20 newsletter ideas because the next natural question is like, oh, well, what do I write about? So um, I'm happy to, to share that with your with your audience. It's um, just something I, I just recently put together. And I love, love, love it because it really like shows you how to DIY you know, your email sequences.
0: Yeah, please do. Um I know it's on your website, but uh we de- I definitely want you to share that because that sounds so valuable. <laughs> and I think a lot of people they might use stories in in a little bit of a way. I mean, I definitely am guilty of this, but using them in a little bit of a way to bury the lead because it can be scary to put that call to action in mm. there and be really clear about what you're asking people to do. You know, so you're like, and I'll just hide it here at the end of this great story. <laughs> yeah. But that's not doing your audience any favors and it's also not doing yourself any favors.
1: Right. Yeah, it's I mean, it's not a um you can't sort of use it as a, as a, as a distraction. Like it really should call attention to whatever the call to action is, um, you know, at the end. But I think you kind of have to start with the end in mind because I, I know like sometimes I, I will have like this funny story that I want to share just because like, it might be fun to write about, but then there's really no, there's no point to it other than like sharing the story. So I, I, I always kind of like try to go back and start from, like I said, like with the real topic, what's the real topic and what's the real point. And then what, what story ties into that? That's really going to like, first of all, connect with them. Right. Cause, cause they, you want your readers to sort of see themselves in that story um, and relate to you. And then, like, how is it going to transition into the call of a- the call to action that I want them to take?
0: Yeah. So, what would you what would you recommend for somebody who's you know they're they're sending out a weekly email and that's what they've told their audience they're going to do, and the people are like, you know, they've come to them from their website, they're all great leads, but people are just not opening those emails. Hmm.
1: Um. Yeah, there's a lot of different kind of little, little tricks you can you can do. Um, I love to test out different subject lines. So you know, really, that's like kind of the first the first thing that people see when your email lands in their inbox. So if your if your subject line isn't um, You know, if it doesn't pique curiosity, if it's not compelling or maybe even a little bit of like a like a jaw dropper, um, it's probably not going to inspire very many clicks. So you can and obviously like you don't want to you don't want to create a subject line that's clickbait, meaning like when they open your email, the subject line has nothing to do with um, the content of the email. Like that's kind of a nobody wants to do that. But, um, you know, you you can always kind of think of maybe like how can you put a funny twist on um, what is in that email that's going to make somebody really want to read more. And I like to test the subject line. So I'll pick. um, Well, first of all, when I write an email sequence, I'll usually run through like four different subject lines in the in the draft. And then from there, you know, we'll pick two and we'll we'll do a split test. And so, half of half of your subscribers will get the email with the one subject line, and the other half will get the second subject line. And then you can just kind of see which one performed better, and you can you can resend that email to the people who haven't opened it, and you can change the subject line to the better performing subject line. Um, that's a that's a big one. And like I I'm not a huge um, like I I don't get into too much with like testing and segmenting and all that stuff. Like just in my own emails, I'm not, I I don't bother with it just because I I write what I want to write and I, and I don't worry about it. (laughs) But um, there are a lot of different metrics that you can look at like that. And um, the other thing, the other kind of little secret tip that a lot of people don't know about is I just mentioned like resending. So if say you send your email on Tuesday and you know, you get to Thursday and you can look at, okay, well, 20% of the people open this email, you can just change the subject line and resend it. And I always recommend waiting like 48 to 72 hours. Um, and that will just like have immediately boost your open rates because I mean, we all know how it is. Like you see, you see an email sometimes come through and you're in the middle of something and you can't open it. You might want to open it. And then you just forget about it because you know, 10, 20 other emails come through or whatever. So I think a lot of people, either they don't know about that, that trick, or they're hesitant to do it because, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want to be a bother. I've already emailed them once this week. If they didn't want to open it, they won't open it. But no, I mean, we're human, right? Like people forget. And it's not that they weren't interested. You're not going to bother them. You know, if they don't open the second one, they don't open the second one. It's not a big deal. But you're giving them sort of another opportunity. So um, those are like a couple of immediate things that can make a big difference, Um, also when you, when you send an email, you have a little, um, I don't know how it works in all the email providers, but there's, there's a place where you can choose like what the little blurb, what the little teaser blurb is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's a really good place to, I kind of treat it like a sales page. Like what is the, the, you know, the, the subject line is sort of, is sort of the thing that piques their curiosity. And then like the little teaser is like what, what hooks them in? Like, I need, mean, I want to read more about this. So I kind of treat it like a headline or a sub headline in a, in a sales page. So you can, you can literally, you know, play with that and kind of just give, it's, it's almost like a little, um, I don't know, like a little book teaser or a little, like a social media teaser. Like when you're on Instagram, sort of your first, line shows up and that's how people decide if they want to continue to read or not. Um, those are kind of like the, the big ones because once most of the time, once somebody opens your email they're you know, if it's easy to read and it's interesting, they're going to, they're going to read all the way through, but it's just that sort of initial, like, how do I get them to click this thing and open it?
0: Recently, um, you know, I was noticing that there was a lot of my list that was kind of just dead weight. And I think it was after listening to your podcast, maybe. Um, Sorry if I'm messing this up. But I sent out an email that was like, Okay, I'm going to be emailing you no more than twice a month, but if you want to unsubscribe, here's your chance. And I actually got like, you know, six or seven unsubscribes, which was fantastic in my book because I'm like, great, now it's people that actually want to open the emails, you know, and and read through them and not yeah. just people that are, are not pulling their weight.
1: (laughs) Right. I think, I think I, I did an, um, a podcast on, um, scrubbing your list. I mean, there's a whole host of things that you could do, but that's a really good one too, because, you know, when people sign up for your email list, they, there's a lot of different reasons that they might fall off and become cold subscribers, whether that's, you know, maybe they just were looking for the freebie and they, they, you know, didn't want to didn't want to see any of your other content, or maybe their, um, their needs have changed, right? Like maybe they're not, they're not looking for what you're, what you're providing, or maybe they've pivoted in their business, or maybe like what you do is not what they, what they thought you did or something. There are so many reasons why um, people might stop opening your emails. But I think a lot of us get sort of hung up on the, on the numbers and like, you know having a lot of subscribers but really at the end of the day the 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 only statistic that matters is how many people are opening your emails. So I always I, I kind of do it for my own list like maybe twice a year. I don't have a huge list. Um and the you know the bigger your list the the definitely the harder it is to to do it and you might want to only do it maybe like once a year but it's really important to just give those people the opportunity to to go or You know even delete them yourself like they're not doing you any favors in fact they're hurting your um they're hurting your metrics so it's it's really not worth holding on to them just because it's a it's another number on your on your list
0: um so you don't you don't really focus or pay that much attention on what people click when they're actually in the email or do you do that as well
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly more. Uh, it's more important when there's um, when it's a sales sequence. So um, you know, there are different kinds of email. There are different pieces to the to the email marketing funnel. Uh, like, there's you know, usually you start with like a welcome sequence that moves into a nurture sequence, and then um, that tends to move into the promo sequence if you're setting up like a full email marketing funnel. So, um, I mean you you obviously you want people to click through to whatever you're you're wanting that next step to be. But um, it becomes more important when you're looking at numbers and conversions. So I do look at that for my clients. From for myself, not so much, but I haven't had a huge launch yet. Like I, I haven't I haven't done well I had a I have a mini course that I I guess I sort of like quietly launched and it, it wasn't like a full on launch. So um, you know, I wasn't looking at all of the stats on like how many how many people are visiting this page versus like how many people are clicking through versus how many people are buying. But certainly with clients, that's a big that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah. What? Okay. So you mentioned people thinking or feeling like maybe when they send an email out, it's it's bothersome to the person that they're sending it to. Mm-hmm. What other? I mean, a lot of the the problems with email marketing comes in our own minds, you know, and it's these things that block us like maybe I shouldn't send an email on Monday. Maybe I shouldn't send them on <laughs> Tuesday. What are some common mindset blocks you see around people sending emails? And like, how do you help them overcome those things?
1: Well, I, I think the biggest one probably is, is that it's, um, it's going to add work because they're going to have to create a whole, um, a whole new set of um, content assets. And really, if you, I mean, it depends what your priorities are, but I tend to encourage my clients to sort of focus their main um, content objectives around their email. And then you can just sort of repurpose that for everything else. So um, I guess to, to be more specific, like creating the email first, and it's no different than any other content you would share. It's it's all about, you know, what your messaging is, what your offers are, you know, who you are, who you're, who you're here to serve, how you help them, all of that stuff, all of the things that, all of the buckets that go along with that, um, you know, that sort of broad overview of like what you're creating content for. Um, and then I use email to sort of it are with my clients and with myself, the email is really like the focal point. you know it's where you can sort of be more um, intentional, more elaborate, give more detail, you know more of the story, that kind of thing. and then you can sort of take pieces of that to repurpose for Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn.
0: I went through you know, okay. someone's email today and pulled out four different Facebook po- or Instagram posts. So you're a hundred percent right. Like that is that is saving you time. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you write one email and boom, you have four posts or three posts or however many you can turn it into. But it that's a really good one to point out.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that that makes it kind of puts it in perspective that it's not another task on your to-do list. It really just kind of works with everything else. And it makes, actually makes the other stuff easier if you kind of, you know, focus on that initially. Um,
0: Oh, you're giving me things to think about, Christy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, All right. So before, before we, I have two, I have two like kind of fun questions, and then I want you to share how people can find you and get that guide also. But my first fun question is, I know on your podcast, Captivate and Convert, you always end it by asking a Christy question. <laughs> so I want to know what your favorite Christy question to ask other people is.
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I never, I try to never ask the same questions to everybody. I think there's a couple that I have Repeated, but for the most part, I try to make each of them a little different, um, and I try to do like, you know, maybe one or two serious questions, and then one or two like, just fun questions. But um, I love sort of hearing the like the real stuff. You know, I I am not good at small talk. I don't um, I don't like. Chit chat. <laughs> you know, I'm, a, I'm, I think I'm a typical introvert and I, I really like to know the, the things that make people who they are. So um, I ask, you know, sometimes some, some kind of um, bigger questions that might not, just things that you might not have the opportunity to typically talk about or share on social media. I love asking things about um, maybe like what is, what bothers you about your the your niche or your industry? Like, what what are the things that that you see going wrong? What do you see um, that could really use you know, use improve? Or, oh my god, what am I trying to say? I know that what you're trying to say. And it's so good, yeah. <laughs> like, I I love it when people when somebody will like sort of get on their soapbox and like you know talk about what what their kind of unpopular opinion is because we all have them, you know, there's all ways that we differ from everybody else in our space that are, that are doing things a certain way. But I think a lot of times we're afraid to talk about those things because we don't want to upset the apple cart, you know? Um, but those are actually the things that, that your, your true ideal clients are gonna, you know, they're going to grab onto and come to you because they can relate to that, you know?
0: Yeah. And I was, um, it's funny you say this. I was just talking to somebody today about how you can't, like, if you read someone's opinion that upsets your own apple cart, you can't take it personally because they're not, I mean, their goal in life is not to make you happy, but that should be how we look at our own stuff too, you know, is like, okay, I do have some thought, you know, I'm not talking about walking around being a jerk. I'm just saying like, (laughs) I do have some thoughts and opinions and sometimes they're not exactly (laughs) like fluffy and unicorn-y and I still can be okay saying them because I'm not here to please every single person. I'm here to serve my ideal client.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you sort of look at it from that perspective, you're able to be at least mostly okay with repelling the wrong people. I think a lot of us, when we first start out, like we don't want to repel anybody because we just, you know, it, it's just, I think it's not our nature, or at least it's not mine. I guess I can't speak for anybody, for everybody, but, um, you know, I wanted all the clients, right? I want to I in- include everybody. But at the, at the end of the day, really you're not for everybody. And I know that's like, it's kind of become a cliche, but if you can sort of, you know, separate that self. I mean, separate yourself and, 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 you know, not be afraid to point out the things that make you different, that make you who you are. The right people are going to come to you and that's really what you want.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So I was, I was going to turn your Christie question back around on you, but I'll let you off on this. I'll let you go this (laughs) time easily. Um, what is your favorite way? You said you don't really do a great job of relaxing. Um mm. but what's your favorite way to de-stress because I think you and I both have learned that not de-stressing is not the healthiest thing for our bodies or our minds. Um if I recall in your stories that's what you've said. So, yeah, What is great. your favorite like way to de-stress and and I have self-care? Yeah.
1: Uh that's a really good question. I think um I'm always trying different things, you know. I'm I'm I've always been a searcher. So I'm always like looking for the, for the thing that's going to, you know, have the most, I guess, give me the most bang for my buck. Right. Can you, can you even use that term for self-care? I don't know, (laughs) but I, you know, I do, I mean, I'm super boring to be honest. So one of the things that I, that I like to do um, at the end of the day is just read for fun. Like nothing, nothing that's going to teach me anything, just like a, a memoir or like a fun nonfiction book. I'm a big reader, um, but I have tried lots of different things and they've all, you know, been beneficial. Um, I do breath work sometimes I'm in a part of a, like a, like a breath work membership. Um, I have done, I've, I've learned transcendental meditation. Wow. I'm not, I'm not super consistent with that, but, um, I do do that and it, it's super helpful. Um, what else? Those are the only two things that are coming to mind. Also, of I head.
0: love boring. I find boring fascinating personally. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't outbore me. From- I'm over here like watching Jeopardy, you know, like <laughs> yelling at the TV. So oh my God, can't, I you love can't that. beat my boring. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. Um, now, why don't you let us know how to connect with you on your website and also on your favorite Way for people to get in touch with you on social media?
1: Yeah, so I I'm really trying to simplify. I don't love spending a lot of time on social media, to be honest. Wait, you um, don't? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) It's really hard. It really is hard. I actually um, a while ago I had to take the apps off my phone and just only only um, you know check in like on my on my um, desktop because it was really just getting to the point where I felt like it was sucking the life out of me and taking up all of my time. And so, um, I do love Instagram, not going to lie. I will, I will, um, definitely waste a ton of time there. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, I don't really tend to do much else. I mean, my podcast is, is kind of, um, my first priority in terms of like what I create content for, and that's captivate and convert. And then, you know, you can want to go down the rabbit hole, you can check out my website, com That's really it. Keep it simple.
0: Your website is lovely, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, well, thank you so much for this. i I think it was a lot of valuable takeaways that we don't often think of when it comes to our email. So I really, really appreciate you being a guest and finally kind of meeting sort of in person, not really in person.
1: <laughs> I know it's funny how, you know, you can sort of run in the same circles as somebody and just it never happens or like it takes a while to happen. So, um, thank you for having me. I'm glad that we connected and. You know, hopefully one of these days we'll be able to meet up in real life because, you know, New Hampshire isn't that big.
0: Right. I agree. (laughs) I'll see you at an event near us soon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Christy. Thank you. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.